Hello and welcome to America When We Talk. As you know, when we do the show from home, we sometimes have these little miscommunications, so I didn't know we were on air, but welcome to America Can We Talk. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. On today's show, we're going to talk about Bernie Comes Out as a Capitalist, CPAC and the Presidency, Trump's Agenda 47, and Idaho Secessionists, and Marjorie Taylor Greene's National Divorce Plan. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned. On America Can We Talk, I talk about election integrity, border security, healthcare freedom, race relations, energy and tax policy, education policy, free speech and assembly, freedom of religion, and all other issues that touch on the God-given right of every American to life, liberty, and the pursuit of their version of happiness. Stay tuned. And hello and welcome to America Can We Talk and to today's First Five. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. If you're a new listener to our show, I'll quickly tell you that I often and normally do my show in a beautiful and very professional studio in downtown Dallas, um, or anyway, in Dallas. Uh, but recently we had built a home studio in our home and I do the show sometimes from home. And it is a great thing overall. Sometimes our communication doesn't work well and the sound wasn't working during the intro, so I didn't know we were live. But anyway, welcome to America Can We Talk. What I want to mention in the first five, this is actually really consequential for um, America and what everyone thinks is going on in America. So Bernie Sanders, uh, he of you know, two presidential campaigns, an avowed Democrat socialist, I mean, a guy who's literally spent his political career in Washington, D.C., trying to convince young Americans and succeeding to some degree uh, that socialism is the answer, that capitalism is mean, and that they should reject capitalism and go with socialism. And he's been spreading this message for a long time. I mean, he's been in Congress I mean, in the United States Senate, I mean, for decades. The guy is like a fossil up there. But if you look at his background, you recognize that he's not just, you know, cavorting on the edges of a little bit of friendliness towards socialism. He's really pretty much a communist in terms of thinking that the socialist economic plan should be forced on people, whether people like it or not. And he has over the years, in fact, when he was running, I guess it was in 2016, when he was running for president, I used to play clips of his speeches. I'm not going to do that today. I'm going to play a little clip something shortly. Something happened uh, on the Bill Maher show recently. But I used to play clips of Bernie Sanders when he was running for president and what he was, um, you know, what he would say to people. What he did, and he, he manages to exude just hysterical passion and sound so angry and so morally outraged. And he would run through a list of everything that should be free for everyone. Everything should be free. And he would very seriously and just and in the most outraged tone as though he was demanding that, you know, um, we have drinking water in public schools or something that's so basic, of course we have to have it. But he would be talking about we have to have free health care and free education, not just K through 12, grad school, uh, you know, college, grad school, education, free health care of every single kind and uh, free housing. He really... You know, he what he did manage to do, he managed to lure the economically ignorant into thinking that somehow he had the power magically to wave a wand or do whatever it was he was going to do and pretty much make everything free. 
And, and once he'd done that, of course, your life would be, you would end worry, you know, so you wouldn't have your college debt to pay off anymore because college was free and you wouldn't have your, um, you wouldn't have the obligation to pay back your college loan. You wouldn't have an obligation to save up money to go to college. Everything should be free. And he spoke in terms of, of such indignance, just such, you know, uh, just, and he, he managed to enrage voters, young people especially, economically ignorant voters, into thinking that the path forward for America is just to elect him and don't worry, he can wave his wand and make everything free. And even though many economic economists would point out that even if you captured all of the owned wealth by every American millionaire, billionaire, trillionaire, if you gathered all that money and put it in a pile in Washington, D.C., and then you spent that money to fill, fulfill the programs that he promised he could somehow fund and create, we would run out of money in less than a year. And he was promising things utterly economically unfeasible, but still because the lure of, it wasn't just a lure of thinking things were free. It was what he also planted in the minds of young people who got behind him was the idea that capitalism is unfair. It's unfair that some people are more successful than others, that being wealthy is unfair. It's very unfair that people are wealthy. And so he in, in, inflicted or injected into the American political conversation a great deal of resentment and jealousy and entitlement. People listening to him who bought into what he said thought, well, you know, I actually am entitled to somebody else's money. Who is that rich guy think he is owning XYZ Corporation or owning some amount of money or having some amount of money? He doesn't deserve to have it. That should be mine. And he injected in, in, the, in young people just outrage and a sense of entitlement to other people's things and the notion that they just voted for him, he would make everything fair. That kind of economic argument ultimately has among the even relatively well-educated evolved into this question of whether or not our systems in America should promise equality or equity. Equality means equality of opportunity. Equity means make everything fair at the end, make everything even at the end. So it's no matter how hard you work and how much you earned and how much you invested of your life and your education earned, you only get to earn the same amount of money as anybody else if they didn't work at all, or if they worked digging ditches, or worked in some job which did not require the education and skill that you brought to your job. So it's equality of opportunity versus equity, equity of outcome. Now let's play a clip. This is Bernie Sanders, shockingly, what he had to say on Bill Maher's show just a couple of days ago. Confusing equality of opportunity with trying to guarantee equity and outcomes. Okay, that's interesting because I think this word equity has come into the language in the last few years, and before that we didn't hear it a lot. And I think a lot of people hear equity and they hear equality, that it's the same word. And it's not the same word in the same concept. So how would you differentiate between equity and equality? Well, equality, we talk about, uh, I don't know what the answer to that is. Come me to think of it, you know, uh, equality is equality of opportunity. All right? We live in a society we want all people right. to have whatever color your skin is. Equity, I think, is more guarantee of outcome, is it not? I yeah, think, I think so. I think that's okay. Fine. So which do you come? Which side do you come down on? Uh, equality. Equality. Uh, yeah. Okay. Right. Boys. So. I mean, honestly, that little clip I just played for you kind of went viral over the weekend because people are saying, 
What happened, Bernie Sanders? You're the leading socialist in America. You lead the young socialists. They hold you up on a pedestal. You know, you're kind of the, you know, the gray hair socialist in, in the Senate. And his answer, when he's actually confronted with, well, which is it you believe in, equality of opportunity or equity of outcome? He's, oh, yeah, equality. Equal I mean, I mean, this is such a shocking thing. This is like having someone who's a strident, strident pro-abortion person saying, well, I believe in the sanctity of life. I mean, it just doesn't go with everything this guy has said in the United States Senate for, I don't know how long, decades. But I will point out a couple of things and, and you know, wrap up the first five by saying this. He really is this kind of remarkable thing that's occurred right now as we are moving into the actual you know, real um, election season, uh, the primary season for the presidency of the United States. Because among the central issues on the table for America is, do we wish to be the country that holds on to God-given freedom and the only economic system that goes with God-given freedom, goes with the belief in God, a foundation God, is freedom and capitalism versus what Bernie Sanders and the socialists and Marxists in the country have been pushing now for decades, uh, which is we ought to go to socialism. And so this is now, I mean, and what I, I will tell you, there are several explanations people have offered. Uh, number one is, you know, Bernie Sanders is getting a little bit senior. Maybe he really just doesn't think and speak as clearly as he used to. That, that's one explanation. Number two, a possibility, which I really think is very reasonable, this is a guy who has made his mark in politics and made his popularity by promising to young people, promising to ignorant people, everything can be free. Nothing in your life will change. You'll have free everything and your life will be just the same. Nothing bad will happen. And I think when he's, so he's had this kind of mystical, I promise everything. But when he's actually focused on asked the question directly, do you believe in equality of opportunity, which of course he does, which we try very hard in America, to, we, we don't have, no country on the planet Earth actually has equality of opportunity, but we try to create it, we work toward that, we continue to strive toward that, or do you believe in equity? He's, of course, the logical answer is equality of opportunity. That's what I'm saying, you know, yeah, that. And so I will say there's a real... Um, there's a real lesson to be learned in this, and I think it's great this happened right before the election season because many Republican candidates are talking about being against socialism and being up against freedom. But this is happening at a time where we're watching the uh, socialist mindset take hold in many people in Washington kind of blending or melding into the globalist mindset, which is essentially, you know, all of the wealth in the world, not just all of America's wealth should be you know, brought together, collectivized in Washington and divided evenly, but all the world's wealth should be, and the globalists should get to decide who gets money and how much money they get. So you have, you know, this, this really big picture battle going on in the world between freedom and socialism, and here's Bernie Sanders, you know, who didn't, it isn't like he gave a wrong answer, that, oh, wait, 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 I, I didn't mean that, I, I meant, you know, equity, I meant equity. He didn't. When he's presented with the logic, and then the last thing I'll say about Bernie Sanders and every other socialist on this planet Earth who advocates for socialism in their country, especially in America, none of them ever, ever have an intelligent answer to the question, why, if socialism is so perfect and so wonderful and so superior, why has socialism in every country where it's tried resulted in human misery and poverty? It's equality of misery and poverty. Why is it that the you look at Venezuela, Cuba, North Korea, China, 
Nobody chooses socialism. People try to run from socialism. They don't want to live under it. And yet these socialists in America get away because the media lets them. The, the socialists in America get away with touting a system that has never worked. And I use the word socialism and communism carefully and precisely, but I will tell you that socialism, there's a great line that we had um, Trevor Loudon on the show a few weeks ago. And Trevor Loudon was, I think he didn't say it on the show. We, he spoke at an event later and made this point. But someone says, well, you know, so what's so bad about socialism? I mean, you know, we can just have socialism here. You know, what's the difference socialism and communism? And his answer was about five to 10 years meaning every time a country goes over the cliff towards socialism and begins to agree with the concept as a populace, as a people, agree with the concept, the government has the right and the duty to take away money from people who earned it and give it away to the people they decide are more worthy of having it because that's what socialism does. It takes away the money from people who earned it and the government decides who are the people we like the best, who we wanna reward them for their lifestyle or their beliefs or whatever it is. And so his answer is, it always leads to communism. In fact, that's what Marx wrote about, is that that's, um, socialism is just a stepping stone along the path to communism. This is why so many Americans, actually informed Americans who know America, who world history, they know American history, they understand America's greatness, are saying, cut it off now, cut it off now. This whole drift towards socialism, drive it out of the American government and get us back to the, all the principles that made America at its founding because of his founding ideas, unique and extraordinary and great. And that, my very fine friends, is today's first five. So uh, today on the show, I have many things I wanna talk about and I always have more topics than time, just is life. Um, and so um, I'm gonna to turn to, I, I call this CPAC and the presidency. And you know, so CPAC happened and um, I have a bunch of clips from the people who spoke at CPAC. And CPAC is just this, you know, it's just, I, I didn't go this year. I, my husband and I have gone numerous times. Uh, this year, they just had the big CPAC in Washington, D.C. at the Gaylord. It's a, a really cool, lovely hotel and a great place for a, a great venue for CPAC. And it's, it's fun to go to. And we've been before. We'll probably go again. Um, and actually, they have a mini CPAC in Texas normally in August. I think this should be the third year they're going to have one in the Dallas area. Um, so we'll, we'll probably go to that. But in any case, didn't go to CPAC. But the reason CPAC is really exciting and I want to talk about it is, number one, it's a gathering of conservatives. It's not a gathering of everyone who votes on the right-hand side of the aisle. It's a gathering of conservatives. And number two, these are people who care enough about the country, the direction of the country, you know, the leadership of the country to make a trek across country to go to a convention. It's, it's a massive, massive um, production and lots of great speakers. I mean, they have the thing where you have many speakers at the same time. So you have to choose. My husband and I will choose, uh, split up and say, okay, you go hear him, I'll hear her. We'll meet in the middle and, and uh, afterwards and talk about it. Just a great thing. So, but the other reason CPAC is so um, interesting this year is that actually one year from tomorrow, one year from tomorrow are the first primaries for the presidential election in 2024. The first primaries, you know, most states have committed to a date. Some states are still working on their plan for that. But there's a huge, the huge primaries start for the presidency of the United States, for the GOP to choose their presidential candidate a, a year from tomorrow. So people are there stirring up support for themselves um, uh, running for president. And so you had, of course, Donald Trump spoke. Um, I have a very quick clip of Donald Trump, um, which I think we have, believe we have ready. So uh, this is, I'm gonna 
quickly play what Donald Trump had to say. One of his, I'm playing little clips from a bunch of people. A little clip from Donald Trump. Let's play that and talk about it. When we started this journey, a journey like there has never been before, there's never been anything like this. We had a Republican Party that was ruled by freaks, neocons, globalists, open border zealots, and fools. But we are never going back to the party of Paul Ryan, Karl Rove, and Jeb Bush. Okay, so why I want to play that was, this was probably the line that got the most attention um, from Donald Trump's remarks. He was the keynote on Saturday night and the crowd was on their feet. They were just, you know, so excited that he was there. But he made a point, which I think is really, uh, in fact, it ties to this whole question of socialism in America and all that and globalism. He made the point that this is no longer the party. The Republican Party is no longer the party um, of Paul Ryan and Mitch McConnell and whoever his third one was. And his point is, you know, this is not the party that is going to go the way the Republican Party was going. When Donald Trump came along in 2016, he basically reignited the idea of the involvement of the people having a party back to being, uh, having the Republican Party be back the party that represents and listens to the American people that um, ha has the, uh, a, a populist uh, mentality to it, a populist um, feel to it. And so the people actually have uh, a say in, in uh, their government. And the people in this country, uh, the, the citizenry, the Republican voters, have never, ever said, hey, let's all go globalist. Let's, let's all go globalist and go along with the globalist agenda. Let's all pile on with the World Economic Forum. Now, a lot of the ruling elite types have done that. Many Republicans and even more Democrats show up at the World Economic Forum. They, they cheer, on, ooh, uh, cheer on Klaus Schwab. They want him to be, yeah, 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 World Economic Forum. You know, gradually shift away from America's unique sovereignty and, as a nation state and shifting America instead toward a, a country that is just one of many part of the globalist structure. And, um, and the globalist is also, it's, you know, it's socialist, is the idea that these people will accumulate a mass amount of wealth and decide how things uh, should be divvied up again and will decide policy for the, for the country. So the American people never voted for globalism. They don't like it. And what they have been watch, happening, uh, watch, happening in Washington is the leftists, the Obama and, and Biden, the whole ilk of the left, love this idea. They can't wait to shift America over to a World Economic Forum globalist, socialist, uh, ruling cabal uh, with the nations having very little uh, differentiation and very little power. That's what leftists want. It's a leftist agenda. But when Republicans started going along with it, uh, people like um, Paul Ryan um, and others, um, there was really a um, there was really nowhere for a lot of Republicans to um, to go. I mean, they are just, you know, they're, they didn't want this themselves, but they see that the uh, Republicans are, um, sorry, my, it's not the party of Paul Ryan, uh, the other person was Jeb Bush, not the party of Paul Ryan, Jeb Bush, Mitch McConnell. And I'm, I'm really glad that we um, had that little point cleared out, couldn't think of who the third one was. 
Many Republican voters, especially the ones who turned out in droves to support President Trump in 2016 and 2020, they don't like this, this shift or drift of the Republican Party to just go along with what the left wants and go along with this globalism and socialism. So Trump is up there standing up for what America is. Now, people got surly about it and said, well, you know, he shouldn't be picking on fellow Republicans. But you have to understand, this is a an identity of the party issue. Is the Republican Party going to be, you know, the uniparty of Jeb Bush and Paul Ryan and um, and Mitch McConnell and just, you know, pretend they're slightly different from the Democrats because they have slightly different policies, but they're really all on the same page of marching America over the cliff or managing America, America's decline and letting the whole world move toward this globalist thing, because that's really how those three are seen. They have the R by their name, but they don't really stand for the ideas of America. So the question, the Republican Party, what's it going to be? Is it going to be the Paul Ryan party or is it going to be the party of the renewed spirit of the American people of Donald Trump? So Trump, you know, he really galvanized the crowds there. I'm going to tell you a minute about the polling. Uh, but I also a couple of people were really quite impressive there. One other person was very impressive. And I would mention briefly about him. Uh, and I, it's really interesting. My husband, I had just heard this guy speak in Florida at a conference like three weeks ago or something. Uh, his name is Vivek Ramaswamy. Vivek Ramaswamy, he's obviously Indian, a country of India of origin, and he is a rock star. He is so impressive. And he spoke at um, CPAC. And I'll tell you a couple quick things about him. He is a, um, his parents were immigrants. Uh, he is a very, very, very financially successful entrepreneur. Did not inherit money from daddy, a successful entrepreneur. He is also, <clears throat> excuse me, he's the author of a book called uh, Woke Inc., like W-O-K-E Inc., Woke Inc., and he's basically really been focusing in in his public speaking. He's all over Fox and places, but focusing in on the idea that America's corporations have just capitulated to the wokeness of the left. They're no longer doing their job as American corporations. He's also on a mission, as he talks about himself, at, at, he did talk about at um, CPAC, about the idea we have secular religions rising up in America and substituting, and, and Americans no longer have, feel like they have a, a country to believe in. And what he's referring to is uh, climate change craziness um, you know, is a secular religion now. And it really, I mean, it is, it's, it is so true. And it's also something that I think will resonate with a lot of people. People are tired of all this, you know, climate change, alarmism, extremism, just, just silliness. Um, so climate was one, uh, COVIDism was one. And the other one, I think it's kind of like race and gender, getting so caught up in race and gender and identity politics that we all, when we sink into following those as our most important uh, guideposts or agendas, we kind of lose track of what America is. So the quick clip, to be really clear, this clip isn't from uh, CPAC, it's from an ad he did, but I thought it captured him really well. We're in the middle of a national identity crisis. Faith, patriotism, and hard work have disappeared, only to be replaced by new secular religions like COVIDism, climatism, and gender ideology. We hunger to be part of something bigger than ourselves, yet we cannot even answer the question of what it means to be an American. Today, the woke left preys on that vacuum. They tell you that your race, your gender, and your sexual orientation govern who you are, what you can achieve, and what you're allowed to think. 
This is psychological slavery, and that has created a new culture of fear in our country that has completely replaced our culture of free speech in America. Actually, really impressive. So, so that is Vivek Ramaswamy. I mean, I'll tell you, number one, he's also, he's 37 years old, 37 years old. And, you know, we heard him speak in Florida, and every time he speaks, he's really dynamic, he's really smart, and um, he is saying things that resonate with the American people. He really is. He's saying things that are just, you know, uh, I mean, things that are upsetting to Americans, and they, they can't understand how how lunatic our climate policy sounds and how crazed the left is and focusing on, on um, you know, gender and race as though it's the meaning of life. And so he's, he's going to get some support. And he's, um, I don't know if he's running, if he really has a sense he could win the nomination, but I do think he has a sense he's getting an important message out there, and he really is. I mean, he's a very impressive guy. Uh, the other one who spoke, the other presidential candidate uh, uh, running this time on the GOP side, who spoke at CPAC was Nikki Haley. I'm going to quick play a short clip by her, and then I'm going to tell you what happened in the GOP polling at the CPAC uh, polling. In case you didn't notice, the liberal media's heads are exploding about my run for president. And we all know why. The media can't stand the fact that I'm a conservative. Think about it. I'm a woman, I'm a minority, and I'm the daughter of immigrants. I am proof that liberals are wrong about everything they say about America. Americans deserve better than the way we're living today, and I'm confident we can take our country to her best days. The plan I'm calling for will do just that. It's fundamentally conservative and profoundly American. And I know we can unite our people. But real unity doesn't come from faint hearts or watered down compromises. Real national unity comes from boldly proclaiming our national purpose. It comes from standing on principle and persuading opponents to stand with us. Like I did when I was governor and when I was ambassador. Okay, in entire fairness to Nikki Haley, I think she sometimes speaks about issues, but it was really, I thought, um, telling. I think it's, you know, she, she may become a stronger, more viable candidate. When she focuses on all the things to talk about, to focus on the fact I'm a woman, a person of color, and a child of immigrants, when you've got the most conservative activists in the country centered in is sitting there at CPAC listening to you and you choose to tell, tell them things that they can see with their own eyes and they already know it's, it's not impressive I mean I, she can't obviously she's not running on the fact I'm a woman I'm a person of color but I mean people at that place at CPAC they are deeply well informed they want to hear what I'm going to do about it what direction our country is going now in fairness to her she did give a speech also at Club for Growth uh, which is a conservative funding uh, entity, uh, kind of more of a, not, uh, they're just part of our Wall Street, probably okay with globalism type uh, conservative crowd. But in any case, she gave a speech there. She blasted the Republican Party. She did vow very directly and openly to take down socialist Joe. And she is pitching this thing over and over and over, which is, you know, what she would pitch in her case. She's saying, we need, it's time for a new generation of leaders. And that was one of her main messages. And she's taking a shot at Joe Biden, who's quite senior, um, and at um, Donald Trump, who would be younger than Biden, but still quite senior when he when he's um, up for the nomination next March. So she's trying to say, hey, I'm young, time for, time for a new generation of leaders. 
But I have to tell you, when you sit there with a crowd of that kind at CPAC, and what you're telling them is something they can see with their own eyes. We can see your woman. We can see your, uh, you know, she's a of Indian origin, of the country of India, Indian origin. Um, and uh, you're kind of like it, it's like it's just like not, not playing to the points that are going to sway this crowd. She's trying to say, you know, I'm going to make a difference. The media's going to have a harder time picking on me. I can gather my younger voters. I kind of segues well into something I want to tell you about polling so far. There's a whole year. On the one hand, there's a year from tomorrow or the first um, primaries. And so that's, you know, going to come quickly. Um, but it's also a whole year for people to stake out their ground, uh, create messages, create policies. But let me just tell you about uh, the CPAC polling. So CPAC, full of conservatives, uh, the polling answer was, they asked, you know, who's your uh, best choice for president? Uh, Donald Trump, 62%. Um, percent. Ron DeSantis, 22. So, so a full 40 point difference between Trump and DeSantis. DeSantis did not speak at CPAC. Um, and then there were everybody else in single digits, everybody else running a single digit. So you know, Trump overwhelmingly won it. But there's actually even more interesting polling than that I want to quickly share with you. Um, and for our radio listeners, you're going to go off to a break 30 minutes after the hour. So quick, li listen quickly while I tell you about this and don't go away or come back, uh, come back after a few minutes. So there was bigger polling done by YouGov. And the most interesting thing was in the YouGov poll, they're polling not just likely Republican voters, but they're dividing them up by age, by uh, his by background, Hispanic, black, white, whatever other things were, I don't even know, um, age and gender. And amazingly, Donald Trump is beating Ron DeSantis 67 to 20% with Hispanic voters. 67 to 20%. Trump is beating DeSantis with Hispanic voters. I'll say more about that. Um, I'll just keep telling because it was most amazing polling for everyone thinking, well, you know, Trump's just got the, the whatever, how you characterize, you know, Trump voters. When you're getting young, his, young um, Hispanic voters, that's huge. And again, it goes back to my point. It's the message. It is the, I love America. I'm going to, we're going to protect America. We're going to have freedom and free markets and capitalism in America. We're not going down the path of socialism and globalism. And again, Nikki Haley, she may push that message, may help her, Vivek Ramaswamy, he's going to resonate with some people. He's got obviously a long way to go to get a name recognition, but I was impressed by this poll, this big YouGov poll uh, about Trump, because it's not just saying, not just Hispanic voters, but among the other categories of voters, men and women, and every background, the younger the voter is, the more likely they support Trump over DeSantis. It's really kind of mind-boggling. So I think Trump, you know, I think there's a sense some of the people after the poll were commenting, well, you know, Trump got robbed in 2020. Everyone knows he won and they, he, you know, he didn't get to serve in the presidency. And so, and then the other one is, you know, DeSantis has a lot more time. He can run later, um, which leads me to something. Um, so, I mean, the, you know, so Trump right now is, is uh, winning in the polls and even winning in the polls with people who may not be considered uh, likely Trump voters, especially young, Hispan young voters and young Hispanic voters. I'm going to dive into the women voter part of this on um, Wednesday's show. On Wednesday's show, it happens to be International Women's Day. Um, on Wednesday. So I'm going to be talking about this and some other kind of uniquely women issues in politics on Wednesday. But 
Trump is um, staking out a ground and he, he's not going away um, and, and he's not shying away from the battle. Every one of these candidates I mentioned, they all take shots at each other. You know, when people say, well, Trump shouldn't say that about Paul Ryan. Every candidate, and they're out there. I mean, DeSantis has taken shots at Trump. DeSantis, I mean, they, they, they just do. And I think the people advising them tell them, you know, you can't just be silent because, you know, everyone's watching and you got to be speaking up about the other candidates and try to distinguish yourself in some way. So they all do. Now, I mentioned um, Ron DeSantis was not um, at CPAC. I'm sure he was invited. Um, and I think he chose strategically not to go. He may, because I think even he consents the conservatives are with Trump and he doesn't want to, you know, come off of a an effort. He doesn't want to show up at CPAC, make a speech, make his pitch, pour his heart out and then have CPAC poll turn out anything like it did. Then he looks like, you know, because right now he can say I wasn't even there. You know, they just heard Trump. But in any case, uh, he is campaigning around the country. So I'll tell you, he's also um he is uh, doing a good job. He, he went out to California. He spoke in California in Orange County, which is, you know, the one quasi Republican bastion of voters in California. He spoke there, uh, spoke at the Reagan Ranch, um, which is a really, really cool place. Um, in fact, I think the clip we have of him, I'm not sure whether it's at Reagan Ranch or it's at this other fundraiser, but he's out in California. He's taking shots at Governor Newsom. And, you know, so he's he's really engaging. He's obviously gearing up for a campaign, although I have something I want to tell you about that in just a moment. But first, let's quickly play um, how Ron DeSantis spoke when he was out in California at the same time CPAC was going on. I know you guys got a lot of problems out here, but your governor's very concerned about what we're doing in Florida. So I figured I had to come by. So in Florida, we say very clearly, uh, we will never, ever surrender to the woke mob. Our state is where woke goes to die. Okay, so anyway, that was uh, Ron DeSantis. I'll tell you a couple of things. It is really good. Um, you know, I, I know that, that many, a variety of people would say, there's no point for Republicans to even be out there in California because, you know, the... the Polling, it always end up the Democrats are going to win California. And so what's the point? But I do think, number one, Ron DeSantis manages. I mean, he, he took that little shot in there saying that Governor Newsom's always trying to check out what I'm doing in Florida, so I'm going to come check you out or something. But it is a really good point. There are a lot of conservatives in California. I think that our elections, our elections in America are so um, dishonest, so sullied, so... Um, manipulated. I don't know whether California might be much closer to a 50-50 split even, or at least closer to having a significant Republican plurality uh, that you don't see in the, in the polling results, in the election turnouts. I really think there is that level of theft of election in America, manipulation of, of, of um, so there's a good argument, I guess. You just, you go out there anyway. You go out there and make your pitch for uh, Republican values, yet your speech goes around the nation anyway. In fact, the money he raised, that he spoke at a fundraiser and the, uh, chair, the uh, county chair, the GOP county chair announced that that was the most money ever raised um, by them for one candidate was for Ron DeSantis. So there's a lot of DeSantis fans among the California Republicans. Um, and I will say, I say this many times between now and election day of 2024, I will vote for whatever Republican wins the nomination. I care deeply about the future of America and I want someone who's going to fight for all of the values of America, including keeping us out of the globalist 
you know, just in infection into America's politics. I want the reassertion, the re resurgence, the reawakening of the value and uniqueness and greatness of America as a sovereign nation, worthy of governing ourselves completely, participating voluntarily without surrendering an iota of sovereignty. We can participate voluntarily in international groups. But that to me is really important. And there, this globalist mindset we've been talking more and more about is, you know, it is the Wall Street bankers, it is the uh, international corporations, and it's a lot of people in America who think, look, we kind of all run more smoothly if we can just have this, you know, this power in America, this uh, nation ruled by uh, particular uh, laws and policies just kind of flattened and smothered away, and all of us will just be part of one big happy globalist uh, family. Um, so I want that out of the candidate and we may hear, I mean, and so I, I think that all matters. I think, I also think the polling reflects that it reflects a lot of reasons why Trump is now polling, um, so much higher than DeSantis among Republican voters. Um, one is that, um, that Trump just gives people the feeling, I believe in America, I believe in you and your ability to be uh, a sovereign nation, and I'm going to fight for that. Ron DeSantis has, as, as you know, many people have talked about, and, and he's worthy of great praise for it. He has been enormously uh, consequential and assertive in Florida in standing up on uh, the transgender grooming of children. He's just driven that out of their public schools. He has, attacked, he has removed critical race theory, or at least attempted to. I mean, he's trying to. You know, the school, uh, the teachers' unions, and the schools may continue to kind of, you know, work themselves work themselves around what uh, he has said uh, and and the law is. But he is trying on, on critical race theory. He's went after Disney. He's trying on, um, on and many issues where he's been really bold and stood up. And I and I appreciate and respect that. Um, and, and that may drive a lot of the vote in the country. People would say, I want someone saying all day long, no transgender grooming of kindergartners and no CRT. And, and he will, and he, he's, uh, he deserves a, the, uh, a great credit for what he did. But I got to tell you, so I kind of switched my next topic, which kind of segues well again into this. Um, the idea of what America is and can be and supposed to be. One thing that Trump did recently, and I don't know if everyone's already been reading about this, but I really, I got into it and I actually wrote my column this week about this. Um, and it has to do with this idea, he's called it Agenda 47. So it's Trump's Agenda 47. And the subtitle is, A New Quantum Leap to Revolutionize the American Standard of Living. And before I get in the, in the specifics of what this uh, Trump campaign proposal is, he did give a little uh, speech about it, it's on Rumble. You can, and I, in fact, I think we posted a link to the transcript uh, of this so you can see what he's proposing. But what I like about it, more broadly speaking, before I get into the details is America and all countries, they need leaders with vision. Leaders that will say, not just, um, we'll fix this by adjusting this tax policy, by changing this policy related to border security or amnesty standards, or will change something about the military by slightly adjusting this or that. I mean, we need leaders, not just who see in big, bold, you know, bold colors, you know, bold red colors, big, bold colors, as uh, Reagan used to say, we need leaders who see 
not they, they need to see America's greatness and the greatness comes from the idea and the protection and preservation of the founding ideas of America, meaning freedom, all the things that are spelled out in the Bill of Rights, the which include or inherent in those is a right to private property, private ownership of property, uh, businesses that function in a capitalist structure and undergirding it all is the idea that America is founded on these promises of the Bible that each individual, each person has because you were born God-given rights, God-given purpose, identity, and a right to live and, and live out your life in freedom. A God-given right to liberty and the pursuit of happiness, meaning living your life in, in freedom and pursuing your dreams. These are This is a among the many things extraordinary and unique about America's founding was that this was this, this concept about who we are as people, who we are as individuals. You have that right because you were born, because it's, because God-given, it's a God-given right to everyone. And the founders weren't saying just for these people who are going to live in the geographic limitations of the United States of America. It was a concept, a bigger idea than that, that you have the right, every single individual ever born on planet Earth and every individual to come. It is inherent in your very nature and identity. And so moving back to America, what Trump is talking about and his ideas here is the idea we're not just managing America's decline and we're not just to attempting to tread water as we try to hold on to our existence, we are gonna boldly assert that America is going to be greater in the future. America is gonna be stronger. We're gonna have more people who are successful, who create successful businesses and establish families and create communities. We're gonna build America, not just you know protect uh, the, the pittance that remains of what America was as the socialists have been destroying it for decades. And, and so, there's a vision needed about what America is that I think Donald Trump sees. He doesn't put it in terms I would put it, and I, I've never met the man. I don't even know what, how he would say any of these ideas. But I, you sense in him from this particular thing, this thing in particular, this Agenda 47, he's talking about the idea we have to have as leaders a big vision for America's future. So his language was a quantum leap to revolutionize the American standard of living. So he's got a bunch of proposals. And I'm gonna tell you something, one that is, I, I can imagine some people going, oh, wait, 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 what, what is he talking about? He's talking about some of the federal land, land owned by the federal government, should be made available for development in the, for the building of new cities in this country. And he's not talking about condos in the Grand Canyon. He's not talking about harming our national parks. But let me just tell you a stat is mind blowing. How much of America, American land, the United States government owns? It owns 640 million acres of America's land, which is 28% of the total US land mass. The federal government, and, they, and the federal government bought a lot of land, took a lot of land under the Obama administration. I didn't look up all those numbers, but there was a great expansion of the percentage of, of American uh, land that was uh, taken over, bought or forcibly extracted uh, and brought into the ownership of the federal government under the, in the Obama years. So the federal government basically owns almost 30% of the total US land mass. Much of this unoccupied, it's not the Grand Canyon or Bryce Canyon or beautiful national parks, it's just land. And what Trump is talking about is less than 1% of what the government owns, 
why don't we develop a plan to make that land available for the development of new cities? When you look around America and you look at the inner cities of basically almost every city in this country, especially run by Democrats, we're talking crime, poverty, helplessness, and hopelessness. That's what inner city America is. And those people deserve a better life. I'm all in favor of trying to improve the cities. People may have great ideas to help cities lift themselves up, and sometimes they come up with great ideas. But the concept of building new cities is visionary. It's like someone saying when they finally realize, you know, I think we better build national highways. We have cars now. We have a big country. We have a lot of roads that aren't very good. Building, you know, building out the whole national um, highway system. This is like that. And, and obviously, in a proposal this grand, every detail isn't spelled out, but the concept of building new cities on existing federal land, which the federal government in a free country, free society, shouldn't be owning that much land anyway. And he talked about, he starts out by saying, it's time to start talking about greatness for our country again. So the first thing, building freedom cities. And, he, and you know, every detail has to be worked out and who, what developers develop them and how you acquire land and what ownership is because we don't want to create any more dependency and any more, you know, government giving everything away and then the people can't function. It's got to have all the concepts of self-reliance and freedom in it. But the concept is wonderful. Revolutionizing American transportation. He wants to have revolutionizing American transportation to mean that some of these vehicles that you have might, might or may not have seen, um, the idea that these uh, vertically uh, departing vehicles should be more commonly available for transport, easier for transport. He's just saying modernize transportation, not just build a new train station, which may be needed too, but the idea of, of modernizing transportation, dramatically lowering the cost of living for young parents and working families. He's actually talking about, and this will be controversial, but I'm telling you it's another great idea. He wants to ask Congress to provide young parents with baby bonuses to help launch a new baby boom. And if you think that is kind of out there, you do realize in America, we don't currently repopulate ourselves, repopulate our society in a way to perpetuate its existence. I mean, we have so had the, you know, the number of babies people choose to have, the population uh, rate, growth rate go down and down. And so he's saying, let's incentivize building families, having babies. Um, he said young parents and baby bonuses um, make it easier to work by launching a, a major initiative to lower the cost of living, especially lower the cost of living, of building a home and buying a new car. Um, you know, making America the world's unparalleled manufacturing superpower. In fact, this ties with something I mentioned last week, the Strategic National Manufacturing Initiative, make trade policy and tax policy incentivize the growth of industry in America. People, I don't know if all these ideas can work. I don't know, and I don't know how long they take, and you gotta know that anything that sounds like America bursting with progress and growth and, and you know, just, just moving forward and creating new opportunity drives leftists in this country insane. The goal of the leftists in this country is to increase dependency on the government increase the number of people who think they can't function without the government telling them where they live, how they live, what medications they need, where their health care will come from, where the food comes from, where they go to school, what kind of car they can have. There, this cultivation of a dependency mentality is a primary Democrat Party goal. 
And so anything like this, it is so utterly opposite of that leftist socialist mindset that's just trying to just drown America in, in weakness until we just end up having the government, you know, tell us and remind us every day to tie our shoes. This is Trump believing in the people of America and believing the idea that people have optimism. People want America to prosper and grow. And there are people who would jump on these ideas. So I love that idea. I will happily share with you other great ideas other candidates for president have, not just his. But I do want to, I think it's important, not just the ideas, but the feel of it. The feel of we believe in America, its prosperous future, and the sovereignty of the American idea, and the preservation and protection of the ideas that founded America. Okay, before I get to my last topic for the day, I'm going to tell you two quick things, three quick things. And I, 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 my, my normal happy producer, Emilio, is not there today. So I have Ziggy. And I don't know if he's got all this stuff, so we'll see. Um, but I want to quickly tell you how you can support this show. Uh, number one, you can go to our website, americacanwetalk.org. Uh, this show is listener-supported, if you can believe that, listener-supported. So if you enjoy this show and what you learn on this show, I ask you to consider supporting the show. Go to americacanwetalk.org, and on the homepage, you can find three things you can do. You can subscribe to the newsletter. Just click on, click on subscribe. You put in your uh, email address. You get it once a week or maybe now with our new plan of uh, two or three a week, but short newsletters from me, really good newsletters, no cost and no obligation. And it's a great way to share this show. So subscribe to the newsletter. Join America Can We Talk from your $50 a year. There's a members button across the top. Click members, click join. $50 a year, and you can be part of this, and, and you will in the future. The big benefit is you get a significant discount on tickets to our annual Women for Freedom Summit, which is a great annual summit. Uh, final way on the homepage you can go, you can actually just donate to support this show. I really do. The show is supported by our listeners. I have I've been doing this show for almost nine years, I have never had a salary. I, I, you know, everything that's ever been donated goes right back into the cost of producing the show. So I'd love to have your support if you are able to do that and inter interested in doing that. Uh, we also have, in fact, I'll save it for tomorrow. For tomorrow, I'll tell you about two other things we do. We have both the um, my pillow, which I'll just tell you about right now. My pillow, and I'll tell you tomorrow. My pillow, and also we have um, a. Um, Patriot Mobile, uh, two ways of great products for you, great services and products for you that you can join those things. That's a way of supporting the show, but I'll save the details for tomorrow. Okay, last quick thing I want to tell you about today. So this, there was a big, um, I, I call this, uh, I forgot what I called this, uh, Idaho Secessionist and, and Marjorie Taylor Greene National Divorce Plan. I just want to say, Marjorie Taylor Greene took a lot of flack um, when she announced, and she put it out in a tweet, I think. Um, let's see, I don't have the tweet quickly probably, but anyway, she put out a tweet basically saying we need a national divorce. And, you know, even some of her Republican allies in Congress, like Matt Gates, said, no, I don't think we should be saying that. But I will tell you, um, she, so she got a little bit of flack um, over it. But I want to just talk about why she would have said that and, um, and what it might... Um, what is understandable about it, even though I, I don't think it's the right terminology. We have so many issues in this country. You know, we used to have, you know, a lot of political debate in this country was kind of between, as they say in football, between the 40 yard lines, you know, Republicans and Democrats, and they'd go back and shift a little bit, you know, but you're still in the American playing field. What has happened in our country? This cultural and other Marxist takedown of America has resulted in many issues front and center on the table that must be decided 
for which there really are not two reasonable conclusions. You can't negotiate. You can negotiate tax rates. You can come to the middle and find negotiate tax rates. You can negotiate you know, national speed limit. You can negotiate, I don't know, budget items in, in, uh, in Congress. But the left has forced on America absurdity and, and just utterly unacceptable, deeply offensive, unacceptable policies. And we aren't in a place in America we can negotiate them any longer. Joe Biden, the Biden administration, has abandoned the southern border. An enforceable border is not negotiable. It's not negotiable. And you can't have a debate. Well, you know, how about enforce part of the border? Leave the rest alone. No, it's, uh, it is the duty of our countries to have an enforceable border. And conservatives do not have to negotiate with the left to get around to some compromise about the border. It is like slavery was an issue. There's no compromise. There's no negotiation. Slavery is wrong, period, full stop. We outlaw it in America because it's wrong. A border must exist and be enforced. We don't have to negotiate any longer with the left, and we have to stop acting like it's a reasonable debate whether or not we should enforce our southern border. The same is true of this transgendering of young children in schools and the entire transgender movement getting transgenderism into the minds of young children and even into the minds of high school children is an assault on the innocence and goodness of the America of children in America. There's no negotiation with this transgender agenda. No negotiation. It is it is absurd. It is it is unhealthy. It is not good for young people. You're harming them. We're no longer going to negotiate how you know how young can we let transgenders and can we let the uh, drag uh, drag queen story our people show up at public schools they have no place there the transgender advocacy crowd has no place in the public schools in america none and the drag queen advocates they have and drag queen shows no place in america in the public schools this is true this this no no negotiation possible is true on issue after issue after issue after issue. And that's really what Marjorie Taylor Greene is saying. Now, I don't know her. Actually, I haven't met her. She's been on the show, but I don't know her well. You know, she's she just used a shorthand way of saying a national divorce. But she is saying we have many issues for which there's no rational negotiation possible. And she's right. But the answer is not a national divorce. The, the answer is to elect strong leaders in the presidency and the House and the Senate and the governor's seats and the state legislatures around this country elect strong leaders who will just say no to all of this lunatic leftist garbage. The same is true with much of the climate agenda. You can say, of course, we're going to enforce laws so we have clean air and clean water and we're not going to let you know corporations dump you know junk into our rivers, except, of course, Biden didn't seem to care what happened when the East Palestine train wreck happened. That was okay. He can barely bring himself to care, leaving that aside. My point is climate issues fall into this category too. They're non-negotiable and we can't find a reasonable basis. We don't have to play in their lunatic playing field anymore. So she's got a good point about that, but it really the answer is not a national divorce. It is to insist on strong leaders who take positions and just stop negotiating with the left. And so that leads to a very quick thing I want to mention about, you probably know about this movement of greater Idaho movement, but within the state of Oregon, 
you know, Oregon is a beautiful state and everyone thinks, oh my gosh, Oregon has got Portland. There are a bunch of crazies out there. I mean, Portland has been completely taken over by the woke extremism of the left. I mean, completely taken over to the point of lunacy. It's unsafe. And, and, you know, crime goes on and on and they can't find a reason to criticize their criminals. It's probably everybody else's fault. And so the same people uh, residing in larger portions of the state, a large portion of the state um, of of, um, Oregon, they just don't want to deal with Portland anymore. Their, their vote means nothing. They can't elect people to do the right thing. So they have this woke lunacy leftism going on in the in the legislature in Oregon. And so these people in rural Oregon are right near Idaho. They're saying, can't we just become part of Idaho? That's what we want. Let's, let us be part of Idaho. So that's what this movement is. It's called the Greater Idaho Movement. And Oregon, the, the eastern section of Oregon, that is comprised of sane Americans who, like, you know, love American apple pie and all that, they want to get away from the lunatics of Portland and they want to be part of Idaho. Actually, the movement got a lot of attention. I don't think it actually got many. Uh, it doesn't have a legal path forward. Radio listeners, you're about to go off. Thank you so very much for tuning in and come back every Monday through Thursday to America Can We Talk at 3 p.m. Central Time, where I talk truth about America. Okay, so anyway, I'm Marjorie Taylor Greene. I I just, I I love her spunk. I love that she made that point because she's really just making the point. We're not negotiating with sane people and we have to stop acting like we are. We don't have to do that. So with... um, Marjorie Taylor Greene and the uh, and her national divorce, uh, you know, as a little bit of what the people of Greater Idaho movement are saying is, can't we just divorce the crazies who uh, reside in Portland, Oregon? I think they won't be able to. Um, but the uh, but the I'm sorry, the yeah eastern part of Oregon who want to become part of Idaho, uh, they they're just saying we we can't even negotiate with these people, and they're right. And so I think really this kind of resurgence of Donald Trump's popularity harkening back to the start of our show today, the resurgence of his resurgence of his popularity, the obvious popularity that he enjoyed um, at CPAC and in the other poll I mentioned, YouGov poll. I mean, America's kind of ready for someone who is who doesn't just play nice with the left. And so therefore, they're really ready to be done with the Jeb Bushes and Paul Ryan's and Mitch McConnell's and many other in Washington who just play nice with the left and negotiate everything when much of what they're negotiating should never be the subject of negotiation. Okay, so I close the show every day by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So we start our today, our show today. Uh, Bernie comes out as a capitalist. Bernie Sanders had his leftist guard down with Bill Maher. Given the choice between equality, meaning equality of opportunity for all persons, but not guarantee of outcomes, or equity, meaning guaranteed equal outcomes for all persons, Sanders chose equality. He chose the conservative answer. He chose the American answer, which is also the answer of conservatives, patriots, and America First supporters. Sanders either stumbled on or inherently knows the truth. Equality of outcomes as policy nullifies any incentive to strive for excellence or merit, assures only equal misery for all, as every communist country in history has proved. America is not and must never become a socialist, equity-based country. Individual freedom is America's birthright and must be preserved. And on CPAC and the presidency, CPAC offers a unique window for freedom to express political opinion and to react to it. Vivek Ramaswamy offered a new face, a new voice. Anti-wokeism message resonated big time. Nikki Haley seems aligned with identity politics for her support, but she did. She is anti-socialist. 
and Ron DeSantis' widely supportive of political leadership and courage as a Florida governor. As I say, he didn't speak at CPAC, but he spoke other places. But Donald Trump dominated the CPAC polling. A clear sense he was robbed in 2020 and deserves a second term. Polling shows Trump appealing to minorities and the young, building the big tent. GOP ruling class always frustrated with CPAC and Trump. CPAC adds to Trump's momentum. Can GOPE, you know, the Brenos, uh, uh, really stop him? Trump's Agenda 47. Agenda 47 planned to sell off a small amount of excess federal land, build new cities and new places, better schools, better energy efficiency, baby bonuses to support children, to support families. Regardless of the specifics, Agenda 47 is a visionary, inspirational message, classic Americanism to envision and then strive for big things, big improvements with a we can do this spirit. We can do it. Trump is lapping his competition for the GOP nomination and for president. Biden's outlook is dark and foreboding. foreboding. And not just Biden, the whole left, everything about what they say is just dark, foreboding, managing America's decline, doing without is the new cool thing the left pushes. Other GOP candidates are not yet offering much that is visionary. They're just pushing, I'm not Trump. Ramaswamy likely to jump into the visionary lane. It is good for America to have leaders compete on visionary, big, and positive goals. And the Idaho secessionist and MTG national divorce plan Secession and national divorce sentiments are rising throughout the U.S. Few Americans really want geographical separation or division, but American patriot tolerance for compromise with leftists has run out. No mutilation or sexual grooming of children, period. No teaching of racial division, period, CRT. No teaching of hate of America. Must have a border. America is a sovereign nation, not a servant to globalists. No middle ground on any of these, just as no middle ground about slavery. Unity must be around these ideas. There is no America without them. And that, my very fine friend, is America Can We Talk for today. I must give you a quick plug. Tomorrow, Tuesday, we have Dr. Richard Bartlett joining me in studio, and we're going to do a full one hour talking about what occurred in America since in the two years plus that since he was on my show, uh, which led to that uh, a really uh, wildly viral um, interview with him, in which at the time he was talking about COVID and what he discovered was effective in treating COVID. And all this happened uh, since then till now, including looking back at all the things that were promised to us that were true, that turned out to be false, all of what we were promised would not work, that were turned out to be workable, really taking the temperature where we are now here in America, March of 2023, in dealing with COVID, not just a history lesson, not just a history lesson, it is also a moving forward in understanding how the American government responded to COVID and how we as people who believe in the freedom of the individual and healthcare freedom and believe in the right of doctors to practice their medicine without interference of the federal government, uh, how we handle things going forward, lessons learned from COVID, lessons learned from COVID. Be a great show tomorrow, uh, do not miss it. Wednesday, we're going to talk about International Women's Day. Got a great guest joining us then, too. Um, and Thursday, Catherine Engelbrecht of True the Vote. So great week full of good uh, good shows. And I'll wrap up by saying I'm so very grateful for every one of you for tuning in to America Can We Talk every Monday through Thursday 
at 3 p.m. Central Time. I'm Debbie Georgiatis. This is America Can We Talk. I do this show to speak truth about America because America matters. And I will talk to you next time. Can we talk truth about America? Can you hear?